Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to the show. It's Garden Gurus Live and uh, it's a beautiful Friday morning. I hope you are well. And we are really looking forward to sharing some fantastic stories with you today. I'm hoping I can answer lots and lots of questions for you. I've got some special guests joining us. And uh, I did want to start off by saying last week we started the program with a few little technical problems, but we think we're on top of it. It's a constant learning experience as we do this live streaming. It's a really unique opportunity for you to talk to us about the things that you love and uh, things that you want answered. So this is a real two-way street. I've got some great things coming up for you. I think Michaela's gonna just scroll down a little bit so I can see the full screen. But uh, we've got some prizes today and I'm gonna start off just to say five best questions today. We've got some great seeds from the guys at Fothergills. It's all that stuff that's in season that you should be putting into your garden now. Thanks everybody at Fothergills. And for my question of the day today, I'm actually going to give away one of the very last copies of the Delish book that Nev Passmore and I wrote some time ago. And it's been a huge success this year, I think, with everybody at home. It's been quite a, quite a significant sort of uh, book when it comes to helping you plan what it is that you need to do at home. Now, with what's coming up today, a bit later on, I've got Karen from Love the Garden. She's joining the program and it is a really good little set that she's in. It's all about tomatoes. The guys that love, uh, love the garden really do know their stuff and um, she's got some great stuff. I've got a plant of the week, which is gonna be a bit different because it's fuchsias and uh, with my next guest, uh, that's probably quite a foreign plant to him in many ways because he is um, Kings Park's senior breeder and Digby Grounds and I have known each other for a long period of time and the work that he does when it comes to breeding Australian, particularly West Australian native plants, is just second to none. I'm absolutely staggered every time I get a chance to go into the glasshouses. First question up from Michelle this morning. Uh, so Michelle, I'm gonna give you a packet of corn as a starting thing. We'll get your details afterwards, so make sure you private message it to us. But she has got a, a soil that's got a clay base. This is a significant challenge. Um, basically the clay base is so thick that she can't get any great results out of it. And she's trying to create a, a really good garden bed to grow fruit, trees, vegetables, etc. Now, Michelle, heavy soils are a real challenge at the best of times, but adding 
adding gypsum to clay will help granulate it, adding organics, good composts, and trying to mix it in is a really good way to go. But of course, it's very, very hard to dig and to break up. So if you have really, really heavy compacted clay soils, you just can't get results. Sometimes building garden beds up, so putting raised garden beds in, particularly for things like fruit trees and vegetables that all do need great drainage, that is a good way to go. So that's just my suggestion. Uh, a couple of other questions coming through. Maddie in Brisbane wants to start attracting bees to his garden. What are the best flowers? There is no doubt that plants like lavender and also borage, the herb with the beautiful blue flowers, brings bees in from miles around and they, they do um, attract and get a, a lot of cross-pollination going. So they're really good. And uh, we're going to be talking about tomatoes a bit later on, but Christina's asked a question straight up about tomato plants shriveling up and the leaves losing colour. Now, this is often related to uh, silvering of the leaf. That could be an early onset of, of, a, of a thrip or possibly even mite damage, depending on where you are. Usually that occurs when the soil's quite dry. So it's that or it could be a soil-based disease. The bad news is I doubt very much you're gonna get results from those tomatoes in that place uh, for the rest of the season. So my suggestion to you, Christine, is pick a different spot in the garden. Needs to be in full sun. Needs to be a spot that has not had tomatoes growing in it before, ideally for at least a couple of years. And make sure you've enriched the soil Get some seedlings in now and they will catch up on the, the plants that you've got that are shriveling up and struggling. Tomatoes should be just booming away at the moment, so hopefully that helps you there. Now, uh, I've got one more coming in. Isabel from Queensland. What sort of potting mix should you be using for rose cuttings? Well, you should be using a propagation potting mix is the ideal scenario, but um, roses generally are a lot better to be grown uh, grafted ideally budded onto a wild ro rose rootstock, which is actually how you would buy them. So I would suggest to you that if you're going to have a shot at growing them, and, and it's not impossible to grow them from cutting, that you do get yourself a propagation, specialised propagation mix. These are generally a combination of peat and uh, a coarse river sand. And the well, ideal scenario is for you to um, is for you to actually make sure that with that you um, have some bottom heating if you can. And you can actually get these Hi. wonderful little How's things. That? That's welcome, welcome to the show. We're, we're ready to go with Digby, which is fantastic. Great to see you, mate. We had a little technical issue there. When in doubt, reboot. That's uh... If all else fails. Control-Alt-Delete, yes. I always used to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm not a computer technician. Nice Thanks to see you, Nice to see you, mate. Hey, um... Digby, tell us a little bit about your work at Kings Park. It's it's a fascinating role. You're the senior breeder. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I manage about eight different breeding programs here at uh, Kings Park. Um, fairly complex job, everything from herbaceous gavola through to red flowering gums and, and lots in between. Um, and really it's about uh, promoting our flora and allowing people to grow plants that reflect the glorious nature of our flora in their gardens without the old drop dead or the itchy scratchy land that a lot of people, you know, regard some of our flora as. Um, yeah. And, and look, the, the work that you do 
um, has benefits in many different ways. One at a home level, in a home garden situation, but also at a commercial level because many of the plants that you've been doing work on breeding um, actually are sold all over the world or grown internationally as well, right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And it really is uh, a bit of the same thing. It's all about the supply chain. So Kings Park doesn't have the capacity to produce the volume of plants required that we want to allow a lot of people to buy our plants. So we enter into partnerships with uh, commercial businesses um, and license out our varieties for them to grow them. And then that returns a royalty back uh, to Kings Park um, that, that goes into you know the funds that we have to make Kings Park such a beautiful place. And, and with regards to the programs, we've done a story with you just recently. I thoroughly enjoyed the time that we spent together. But the thing that I I think we went in and I was I was looking at Baronias with you, which that in itself is That's a correct, yeah. stunning stunning program. But the one that blew me away was the kangaroo paws. And it, it, re, it reminded me that probably the very first time that I saw kangaroo paws outside of Australian gardens, particularly West Australian gardens, where many of the varieties originate from, was actually in Holland. And it was a Dutch grower growing a, a dwarf pink form that had been bred at King's Park, but I had never seen in a Perth garden or anywhere else in, a, in Australia at the time. And they were growing 16 million of them for the German market to be sold as an indoor pot plant. And the way we think of natives, we really, I think we get stuck in, in little boxes at times, these little silos yeah. of how we should use them. But of course, they have multiple uses. And those plants that you have in the glass house that you're doing the breeding with at the moment come in every different colour. That's correct. We now have uh, any colour you can name, we now have represented in, in kangaroo paws. So we have, we have black, we have white, we have blue, green, orange, red, and a whole range of combinations in the same flower uh, of those colours as well. And you're right that, you know, they can be used as flowering pots, uh, border plants, indoor plants, as well as, you know, going into your garden and uh, different uses around the world depending on, the, on where they are growing. Yeah, I, look, one of the plants that I... I it kind of reminded me of what great work you do. Uh, last year I did a story on um, Geraldton Wax, on the, the wax flowers right. that Helix Australia, which is um, a, a promotional plant company in Melbourne, uh, were marketing. And I, I was just staggered at how beautiful uh, the, uh, and large the size of the flowers were that were coming through. And I was kind of looking at it going, I just can't believe what you've been able to achieve. They're flowers, you know, twice as big as the old traditional Geraldton wax, um, sometimes yeah, multicoloured petals. How do you do that? Well, you know, there's a there's a lots and lots of crossing. I mean, we do, you know, tens of thousands of crosses annually and a whole range of crops. And, you know, it's just the one that, that comes through so that, that you select and gets released. released. And, you know, Helix are great supporters and they, they do a great crop. And mm. we have an ongoing dialogue with them about the type of, you know, plants that they want. And, and breeding is interesting. Plants are very plastic and so you can almost go in any direction that you want. Um, I could breed really small flowers, but, but the market wants big flowers. And yep. they look fantastic, as, you, uh, I mean, as you've seen. Yep. And so we have a, have a program that, that delivers those, those really large flowers. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's, a, it's kind of a flower for every purpose too. So some of them are on big long stems, which are ideal for cut flower yeah. growers, and others are beautiful compact plants, which are so much better in a home garden environment, right? Yeah, that's correct. So the wax flower and baronia uh, and anagazanthus, the kangaroo paws, we have a like a dual breeding uh, program within each of those. And one is for cut flowers mm-hmm. and one is for home gardens. And, and you know, generally in home gardens, people want those compact floriferous plants because, look, even the old style Geraldton wax now is too big for people to put in their gardens without managing it like pruning and and things like that. So we try and breed these really compact plants and then people don't have to worry about managing them so much. And Digby, um, there's there's been a couple of questions come up already that, you know, could relate to the use of, of Australian plants, particularly some of these West Australian plants. It's important for people to understand that, that this southern, southwest corner of Western Australia is a biodiversity hotspot. It, it's got a, a group of plant species, um, some 6,000 plus species that are completely unique, found nowhere else. Um, it's a very special part of the world. So the base that you're working from is um, is phenomenal, isn't it? It's a very exciting thing. Absolutely. The genetic uh, variants, uh, both, you know, across genera and, and down to within species is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And so that's the palette that I have to, to work with. So, you know, I'm very fortunate as yeah. a plant breeder. Um, and, and by combining, you know, different attributes, what we hope to do is make these plants uh, much more successful in people's garden and provide a habitat uh, too for, for local fauna. Uh, the conservation side of things is a real driver for Kings Park. Mm-hmm. And so we've got plants that use less water, less fertiliser, but also provide home for local birds, insects, small reptiles, etc. And And I think um, particularly in this world of... of you know, a drying climate, climate change is a big deal. Many of these West Australian plants are finding places in gardens all over Australia, indeed all over the world, because of their hardiness, of their toughness, because they've evolved in this drier climate. It's suddenly making them uh, more adaptable into other, into garden types in other parts of the world. I've lost him. Oh, there he is. There we are. Sorry. Yeah. It's all right. I thought it was me having a blackout, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> You're yeah, still with us. That toughness is uh, is well renowned for West Australian plants, and mm-hmm. it does translate, you know, worldwide. Um, them seeking, you know, those attributes of of our plants, absolutely. Now, um, there's been a comment come through from Karen. I'm not sure where, where you are, Karen. In fact, just a, a word of uh, advice for anybody who's writing in to us. Write in, make sure you let us know where you are because we've got people tuning in from all over Australia. Indeed, we know from all over the world we had people commenting from Canada last week. Um, Digby, this is, this is something she's asked. Any chance we can have a session on watching Digby demonstrating breeding some varieties? Now, not this weekend, but the following weekend we have a great... Uh, segment coming up on the Garden Gurus where where you and I have done a story together and it, it does show you in action. It shows exactly what we're talking about. I, I, I think that um, there's a really important message here too and what we're talking about is natural breeding. We're not talking about genetically modifying plants or anything. Your, your processes are just, you're just basically fast-tracking natural evolution, aren't you? Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, um, the, the technology is there for um, gene modification, but we don't use it. 
Um, and as I said before, because plants are so plastic and we got such a suite of um, the genetics available to us, we don't need to use that. We just use the traditional transfer pollen to another plant technique for 80-90% of our work. There's some lab-based work where we need to do some germination, specialist germination activities, etc. But yeah, it's a natural process that fast tracks evolution, as you say. Digby, thanks so much for your time this morning. It's been a it's no, been a great chat. Thank you. And uh, it's look, it's it's important that um, people remember it's it's not this Saturday on Channel Nine, but it will be the following Saturday, right across the country, be able to see Digby in action as he does his thing at Kings Park and. Mate, if there was awesome. if there's one standout plant that I've got to get my hands on at some point, it's that blue flowering kangaroo pour. I, I was yeah. staggered. That is so beautiful. And look, I get to see it every day, and I'm still staggered that I that I came up with it. Um, yeah. So the first ones of those will be available uh, next year, about this time next year. Yeah. So keep an eye out for it. But the the interest is growing strongly. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. great work, mate. And thanks. So thanks much for your support. No, no worries. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers. See what a what a great guy and what a privilege to be able to introduce you to him. I suppose that's one of the great things about my job is that I'm I'm here along with the rest of the team at the Garden Gurus to introduce you to the incredible innovation that goes on every single day in the garden industry. There are a bunch of people out there that work so hard in the rain, the hail, the sunshine, the heat. And they do it because they're so passionate. And if we can share just a little bit of that passion with you through the Garden Gurus, then we're doing our job. Speaking of doing our job, I need to um, I need to get on with answering a few questions before we get to our next very special guest. Um, now I'm trying to trying to work out what's actually been written here. So. Um, Jill has written, uh, she covers her vegetable seedlings with sheck for eggs. Now, I, I could be, that could be shell for eggs, um, but it keeps getting crunched on. Well, I think, so. I think that's what you're asking, Jill. Jill, um, the thing with that is that um, we are in a situation when you put eggshells down on the ground, that you will actually keep things like snails away, but. Um, I'm not 100% sure. You might want to just double check your question. Cherie in Gippsland, how long do I keep my seedlings in my mini hothouse after they've germinated? Well, basically it should be after you've got your first lot of leaves, those are called cotyledons, the second lot will be the beginning of your mature leaves. And that, that, that second lot of leaves that comes through as your point of moving them out to harden up in the sun, ideally. And um, if you can get them into the sun, if those seedlings are things like uh, vegetables or flowers, um, they will be ready for uh, transplanting within just a very short period of time after that, probably the third set of leaves. Louise, what season should I be planting to potatoes? I've just gone and put a bunch of, um, of seed potatoes in from my garden. Now, just to clarify, um, you can grow potatoes from the, the little shoots, the little eyes that come out of, of, of potatoes that have gone green in your garden. You can literally cut those in half and get a few different small plants, um, and that'll work really, really well. The other way is to go for small little potatoes, and uh, that's what I've done. So all the little ones that we collected from our crop 
last year, or only just a few months ago, I put to one side, let them sit, um, stay nice and dry in a cool spot. I've now taken them and planted them into my garden. And when it comes to planting uh, potatoes, ideally dig yourself a furrow in the ground. So, you know, it's, it's a rut in the ground, pop your, your potatoes in the bottom and then just cover over just slightly. What happens is once they start growing, they'll push their shoots up there, put a little bit more soil in and keep building it up until the potato is growing up and you've mounded soil all the way up because where the, where the fruit is actually being formed, it's coming from the stems all the way up. So you'll end up with potatoes forming in the soil underneath that mound. So it's the best way to do it. It's the way the professionals do it and you will get great crops. It's something that you should be doing now. So I hope that helps. Um, Firenza, I have a liquid amber tree that was attacked by possums. Now the possum issue has been sorted, but the leaves are not appearing yet. Can you put Epsom salts around the base of the tree to help it? Well, Epsom salts is magnesium sulfate. So it's an essential plant nutrient, um, pretty important to keeping plants nice and green. It's also very good for us. We, we need it in our diet as well, but you don't need to do that. What you're best to be doing at the moment is probably giving it a feed, to be quite honest. So um, I would be recommending something probably organic just at the moment because you don't know how much damage has been done, whether there's damaged roots there, but uh, a feed at the moment would be a good way to go for you. And I think you'll find that your liquid amber will bounce back. Mine at home is just starting to put some foliage on. Christine wanted to know, can you propagate from a crabapple tree? Well, the answer is yes, you can grow them from cutting and they will grow quite well. Um, you can grow them from the seed as well, but the variance in the, in the plant that you get afterwards could be quite dramatic to the parent that you've taken it from. So you are far better if you're going to do it to do a cutting. Ideally, um, most crabapple trees are actually grafted and they're grafted onto a strong rootstock and that would be the ideal scenario to go. Great thing about crabapples is not necessarily the fruit some people pickle them or jam them, do, do stuff like that. But the great thing about crab apples is they're a universal pollinator for all apples. So if you've got a few crab apples around and you've got a few apple trees around, you will inevitably get good crops out of your apple trees. And of course, crab apples, it's usually all about the flower. So they'll be quite stunning. Uh, now, M has sent us in a picture and uh, it's well worthwhile talking about this this picture because there's a couple of things I'm going to ask you to do. Send us the send us uh, pictures of plants, but try and stand back and get a shot of the plant in the sun. And when you're about to take the photo, just tap on the picture so that we get nice clarity. This one's a little bit blurry and it's in the shadows, but I'm going to take a guess at this M. I think that the plant that you're asking about, what is it? I think it is the rootstock or a seedling of a wild nectarine or peach. That's what it looks like to me. So if, if it's that, it's probably not going to eventuate to anything. The question is, do you keep it or don't you? Um, my answer would be, I would take it out of the ground. I don't think it's gonna eventuate into anything. Now, I'm going to roll into my plant of the week before we catch up with Karen Goldie from Love the Garden. And uh, the reason is I just, Love these plants. In fact, Michaela, my producer here, who is behind the scenes making sure things work, said that this is one of her favourite plants too. This is the fuchsia, and uh, now is the time to be getting your hands on them. They're in garden centres all over the place, and there are 
all different colours. This is one of the sort of larger growing forms of the fuchsia and it's in my garden, it's in full sun and it does really well for about 10 months of the year. The two months that it doesn't do so well are February and March and that's because fuchsias love cooler weather. So the cooler your climate, the better the results. If you're in the Blue Mountains in Sydney or um, Mount Tambourine in, in, out of Brisbane or alternatively you're in the cooler states, uh, you're going to find these will grow out in full sun in the garden really well. If it's going to perform in my Perth garden, you are going to, to get great results. But now's the time to get into your garden setting. You'll see them coming in quite a bit over the next probably four weeks and then there'll just be a spectacular display. And you can grow them in the ground or in hanging baskets. And look at the flowers, just look at that. Interestingly enough, and I'll leave you with this one on fuchsias, but interestingly enough about the fuchsia is that the flowers are also edible. So you can actually pop them either as a garnish on a plate. Um, most people look at them and go, I can't bring myself to eat it, it's a flower but they are actually delicious, they're quite sweet. And like most flowers, they're incredibly good for you. So a bit of a different way to think about it. Plant of the week, the gorgeous fuchsia. And just if you're wondering how to grow them, if you wanna grow them yourself, quite literally, all you do is grab your secateurs, take this piece off here, pull the strip, the, the foliage here, cut off the square off the base there and pop that into the ground and you will get a new plant. They are very, very easy to grow. So I hope that helps. Now, this bit I'm really looking forward to because I love tomatoes and, and particularly, they're particularly good for all of us and but particularly good for men. And we've got Karen Goley joining us uh, from Love the Garden. Karen, hello, how are you? Yeah, good. Hi, Trevor. You look like... How are you? I'm... Great, you look like you're in tomato heaven. <laughs> I am in tomato heaven and uh, I'm very excited because um, I've been out in the garden with my, my little probe, I've got my soil temperature uh -huh. and I'm in, I'm in sunny South Australia. So hi mm -hmm. to all the, all the viewers out there, particularly those in, in sunny SA today. And I'm very excited because our ground temperature has hit 16 degrees and sweet Ooh. 16, <laughs> sweet 16 is my sweet point my sweet spot for um, getting my tomatoes in. So it's a long weekend here in, in South Australia, so it's a perfect time to start planting um, our, Karen, our tomatoes. Karen, that, that's, a, that's a really, really important thing for everybody to remember. Things like tomatoes and capsicums, those plants from the Solanaceae family, all love warm soil. We think that they need really hot temperatures during the day, but it's actually the, the soil temperature that's vitally important. So that's 16 is really your starting point. Ideal is probably 18. And when you get your soil temperatures up near that sort of 20, your plants will be booming away, won't they? Exactly. And um, I, I do a combination of planting. I plant in the ground um, mm -hmm. and I also do raised garden beds as well and wicking beds. And um, uh, interestingly enough, my raised garden beds are 21 degrees this morning and, yep. um, and the ground is, is 16. So, um, you know, I probably could have had these in a little bit earlier, but I thought I'll plant them all um, around about the same time. But I use that winter period to compost and get the ground ready. Um, yep. You know, I'm, I'm uh, fortunate, I guess, in the sense that I'm, I'm, I'm on property. So um, I've got sheep, pet sheep. Um, avail um, available to me um, awesome. and so 
Yeah, so so I've got, you know, plenty of manure and, and I'm in dairy country down here on the southern Fleurieu Peninsula, so uh, plenty of cow manure around as well, but time to get that compost ready, so, um, you know, months in advance. Yeah, look, the, those kinds of manures are good, but you, you're quite right. They actually need to be composted down because they, they're way yeah. too rich if they're fresh. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about soil. You know, uh, we are constantly on the Garden Gurus talking about work on your soil. If you get your soil right, your plants will do... It'll, the soil will feed the plants. The plants will do their job without any problems at all. But if you've got poor soil, you're really struggling. With, with growing tomatoes, a lot of people are in smaller gardens these days. They don't have a lot of room. Tomato is a fantastic plant to grow in pots, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely, and um, and I do do pots as well. Um, and my go-to product is um, the um, Osmocote or Performance Naturals um, potting mix. Um, okay. And I find that um, this is this is what I use in my pot. Yeah. Um, and I find that um, you know a, a good quality potting mix will give you that advantage straight away. Um, I think you spoke with uh, Greg Neighbour last week from Love the Garden. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, so um, the technical guys, the science is already in the bag. Um, so it means for me it's just so much easier because, you know, the research, the work, everything's in here, all the um, vitamins, nutrients, um, special things that, um, that the potting mix purposes for um, is, is already there. So I love this one because it's um, boosted with calcium and um, that helps prevent blossom end rot. So I was so, about to say, I'm going to say something a little controversial, Karen. I'm going to tell, I'm going to say to you, there are a lot of people out there that would say, oh, I just have to have a very good compost to grow grow these vegetables at home and, and I don't need any more. I don't need to add or work on the soil. I don't need to worry necessarily about those essential minerals. But I'm going to say to you that if you're not using the right soil, there's two potential problems. One is there's crop failure is always a risk. Um, number two is that you, you actually have to put goodness into the soil. You have to put those essential minerals into the soil that then goes into the plant, that goes into the fruit that we consume. And, and if there's a shortage of calcium and you're seeing blossom end rot on your capsicums or your tomatoes, then you're in real trouble because we have a significant problem in our society with osteoporosis affecting people, particularly women, and that's just a lack of calcium in our diet. So getting this soil right, getting it with the right blend of nutrients in there, iron, magnesium, particularly calcium, those things are vitally important to our own personal health. So why wouldn't you get it right in the soil up front? And that's what the science is that Greg's been putting into these, these potting mixes. It's, it blows me away with how much energy and effort and knowledge has been expended in creating these mixes that are being put out by Osmocote. Um, you know, it's just incredible. The Performance Natural range is a really, really, really big eye-opener with regards to just how good that technology is. Exactly. And it disappoints me when people say, oh, I've got a black thumb, I can't grow anything. Um, but when you dig down, pardon the pun, when you dig down a little bit deeper um, and you find that, um, you know, people aren't using um, the right, as you say, the right nutrient mix, 
Um, like you say with tomatoes, you, you don't want to get the nitrogen hit too strong up front yeah. because um, you'll just encourage thick, green, lush growth, but then you may be lacking the potassium and you're not going to get the, the flowering to produce the fruit. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a, and, and I just say that, you know, using these products is a bit like us using a multivitamin. Um, and if you've already got it there and if you add it into the soil and you've got it already in your potting mix, it just saves so much effort and, but well, then, then you, you know, don't you don't need you don't need the multivitamin then do you because you're actually getting the goodness from the plants you're eating exactly right exactly right and you know you talk about uh, phyto you know phytochemicals as well um, you know those natural antioxidants um, that you you know you're getting from your fruit um, which helps to neutralize those free radicals and um, you just talked, mentioned then men's health, you know, prostate cancer. Um, tomatoes are such an important part of our diet mm. um, to assist us. So, um, so what, one scientific fact is one tomato, decent sized tomato, that size in your diet, gentlemen, we hate talking about this, but more men mm. die of prostate cancer than women die of breast cancer in Australia today and it shouldn't be happening. One of the things that they're using now in treatment of prostate cancer is a concentrated form of lycopene. And lycopene is that red phyto, phytochemical that we see in the skin around the outside of the tomato and in the flesh. And that is important. So one tomato in your diet today, each day, gentlemen, particularly gentlemen, um, is vitally important to prostate health. So please, please do it because it makes such a massive difference to just the, the, the problems that we tend to come across as we get older. And uh, we hate talking about it, but this is a really in interesting solution. I remember, you, you will remember, we, we were at uh, the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show and I was, I was on the Scott stand talking and uh, one, you know, there's a group of gentlemen there and there's a group of their wives and, and other women who are there and, and uh, I could see a couple sort of cringing when I started talking about prostate health and so on. And uh, one of the gentlemen said, but I really don't like tomatoes. Is a cherry tomato enough? And I said, no, get yourself a decent tomato and man up, come on, have those tomatoes, they're good for you. But you know, not all tomatoes are the same either. So when you grow, when you buy tomatoes in a supermarket that have been picked green and have been gas ripened, so they've got a red blush on them, but when you bite into them, they're a little bit like cardboard, that's because they've been picked early. They're not, and, and they're, varieties that have been bred for transport. So they're really, really tough varieties. But when you grow your own tomatoes at home and they look lush and red like those beauties you've got in front of you, they oh. just taste amazing, don't they? They do, and that's the thing. You, you can't beat growing your own. And, you know, if anything, you know, the last six months have shown us um, more people are getting into the garden, um, you know, food security, you know exactly what's gone into it. Um, you know, I, tr I keep everything chemical free um, in my garden. Um, you know, I, I think last week you mentioned about sacrificing um, a few of your, I'm not sure what your broccoli for the, the rabbits, you know. Yep. Yep. If I get it, if I get a few grubs, you know, I pick them off. I put them into a bucket of warm, salty water. Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. um, soapy water. Soapy you know, I, I don't want to use chemicals. I want to know exactly what's gone um, into growing um, into growing my food. And and the other great thing is um, nothing pleases me more than grabbing my lunchbox of the morning, an empty lunchbox, walking out my front door, uh, picking a few lettuce leaves, picking off a few cherry tomatoes, um, some snow peas. 
um, and putting it all together with some some herbs as well, and um, and having that for for lunch. It's just it's so fresh. You just can't beat it. And this year I've had such a good season with snow peas. I can't believe how how well. I I think I'm going to look like a snow pea soon. We'll already turn green. But they're good for you. <laughs> they're good for you. That's great. But yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing tastes better than freshly picked sweet snow peas, does yeah. it? Crunchy, crispy. Uh, nap. They're just, yeah. they're absolutely beautiful. So so with my selection this year, um, and I, I'd love to know um, some of the varieties, um, the viewers, you know, some of their favourite varieties that they have success with and love planting. Um, yeah. But um, I, I, I do a bit of a mix. So um, I go the big beefsteak, um, mm -hmm. tomato, because I find, you know, a nice big tomato is great on a burger or fantastic on a sandwich. But then yeah. I do love the cherry tomatoes. And um, I've gone with a mix. Um, I've got black cherry, um, the uh, yellow um, gold cherries tomatoes as well, um, and also a, a honey drop. And I like, well, not only just for the colour that it adds to a salad when you put something together, but I do quite like the yellow tomatoes as well because, um, I mean, uh, tomatoes are obviously, they're, they're acidic, um, yeah. sit in the acidic range. Um, but um, the yellow ones have a bit more of a sweetness to them, so um, a bit more sugar. So um, it just helps sort of take away, you know, some of that acid taste when you when you put in a mixed salad. So yeah. so um, I like to do a bit of a com combination. That sounds great. And, you know, mixing it up in the garden really, when you, when you go and you harvest and you've got five or six different colours in the fruit and you, you present that on the table, it's just superb. It, it's it's, it's mouth-watering in itself. Tell me about your favourite recipe. Summer's coming. I like to use them in salsas. I love them in salads. A lot of my yeah. friends love cooking them too. So pizzas? Yes, yes. Well, um, yeah, you've caught me preparing lunch today. Um, so... So yes, I've done. I've, I've um, got a couple of pizzas ready to go in the uh, pizza oven. So um, this one is just um, a prosciutto, cherry tomato, and basil um, with a little bit of tomato paste on the bottom. So that one is on a gluten-free base, and there's no dairy on there as well. So um, you know that is a, a good option for the gluten-free um, and dairy-free. And this is another little favourite of mine. It's a little bit, little bit different. Again, I um, do use the Osmocote tomato veggie and herb to grow my potatoes as well, and as right. well as potting, potting up my herbs. Um, yeah. And this one, not sure if you can see it there, but I've got really thinly sliced slices of potato on there. So it's a yeah. potato pizza. So um, really the secret is, is to uh, slice the potato really thin and then I've picked some fresh rosemary out of the garden. So yep. I've just um, picked off some rosemary, put that on, and then all that needs now is um, a little drizzle of olive oil, beautiful yeah. olive oil from McLaren Vale, my local wine district. Ooh, and um, I've got some Murray River um, salt flakes. So just a little sprinkle of the salt flakes, and that's ready to go in the pizza oven. Oh, stop it. We're all hungry now. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish you were, wish you were here to share them. And a, and a nice nice glass of uh, rosé, I think, for lunch. What do you reckon? Oh, that, that's pretty much ticked all the boxes. I reckon there's a whole bunch of people that are uh, thinking about pizza suddenly for lunch. You know, it, it really is important. The message here is that we are what we eat 
and if you, you get yeah. the right soil, if you're using the right fertiliser. So uh, I know that Sally's asked, is, is that Osmocote for the tomatoes? The answer is it's the special Osmocote potting mix, isn't it? So, and it's not just tomatoes, yeah. it's, it's veggies and herbs as well, right? That's correct. Yes, you can use it for um, veggies and herb. And uh, this particular potting mix already comes with four months worth of um, feed in there as well. So yep. you don't need to add any extra feed when you're planting. So you can just get your pot. Make sure you get a really a, a pot. Uh, for, for one plant, I would suggest um, a pot that would hold this entire 25-litre bag as a yep. minimum um, and, um, and pop that in. And you know you should you should have really good success thanks to to Greg and the you know the fantastic technical and R and D team that do all the science and the research so that I've got the product that I can use so that I can now I can do the fun part. <laughs> Karen, you know what I I think um, it's it's a difficult thing for me to be able to demonstrate to our viewers to our friends who support the Garden Gurus just how much work goes in to making sure that these products that are created deliver results in a way that people don't have to worry about you know, stuff all the time. And a, a really good example, a, a question's come in from Ken. Now, he's potted, just potted up a few very uh, young but healthy tomato plants. They germinated from composted soil in his garden and he's put them into some Osmocote premium potting mix. And the question he's got is, do they need, does he need to add some more calcium now? The truth of the matter is, in my, my view and my experience, is that Osmocote Premium Potting Mix is as good as it gets. It is fantastic. It's, a, it's an all-rounder, isn't it? It definitely is, yes. It, um, it basically has all of your trace elements um, covered in that potting mix. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, um, it, it would, it would, it's definitely... It, it would definitely be be fine, um, and yeah, it, I mean it's it's even great uh, for um, some of your indoors, your ferns, your palms, things like that as well. Um, yeah. It's a really good go-to. And and the solution to this is to use some osmocote. If if you're going to boost it a little bit further, is to use some osmocote that's actually been specifically designed for tomatoes, veggies, all those fr all those uh, edible plants, right? Exactly, that's right. And um, that just, um, the trace elements, um, the NPK mix, uh, will just be appropriate uh, for the purpose. So you, you can buy something specific, um, yeah, to, to do that as well. Terrific. And I, look, I've got a, I, I think we probably need to move on, but I've got a comment from Cherie. She said, thanks, Karen. This has given her some real inspiration to get out and try and grow some other varieties of tomatoes. And I reckon that that's the take home today is to make sure that you are growing a nice mixture of them because, you know, yeah. sometimes food's as much about looking at it as it is tasting it too, isn't it? Absolutely. And you learn from your failures as well. Um, you know, that's what gardening is all about. I mean, I'm not a horticulturalist by trade, um, but it's just such a fun learning experience. And some things will work, some things won't. But the one thing that I have learned is if you use the good products to start with, um, it just, you have usually more guaranteed success. And when yeah. you have more success, it builds your confidence to experiment and to try um, other things and to have so much fun and to reap, reap the rewards and reap the benefits. 
There is nothing more well. nothing more rewarding than presenting beautifully homegrown produce on a pizza yes. with, with friends and to, to, to turn around and sort of say, this is stuff that we've grown at home in our garden. And that in itself is just the nicest possible thing you can do. You know what, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed our time this morning. I would love you to come back on and join us again in the future if you can find some time. Your place looks amazing. I'd love to also maybe come out and do a story with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that would be wonderful, Trevor. Really enjoyed this morning and um, yeah, I would, I would love that. So thank you everyone and thanks to all the viewers as well. Thanks for the comments. No worries, thank you. Big kiss to you. See you, Karen. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care. Take care. See ya. Wow, that's, um, that's pretty inspiring stuff and I'm hungry. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> this program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. We'll get on with some questions because you've been pumping them through. They're coming from all over Australia at the moment. Lynn from Maitland in New South Wales. She's got a pot full of nasturtium leaves, but no flowers. Now it's a metre long and 35 wide and there's about, about 20 seeds have amassed a multitude of beautiful, healthy, large green leaves, but not one flower. Should you thin them out? The answer is no. What will trigger the flower is the plant getting a little bit older. And it was something that Karen alluded to in our conversation there about the blend of fertilisers. And if you're, if you're growing it in a nitrogen-rich soil, which I bet you are, they're going to produce lots and lots of growth because that's what nitrogen does. It stimulates that lovely green growth. What you really need to do is to, to get some more flowering, but the plant changing your fertiliser at this moment in time is not going to make a big difference with nasturtiums. They're only an annual, so what you really want to do is now let them get to a mature stage. And because there's a lot in a pot, they'll all be competing against each other and that will stimulate competition. And competition stimulates flowering, which brings on more seed growth and more plants into the future. And um, yeah, so my suggestion is you leave them as they are and enjoy them. And Lynn, you know, you, you raise an interesting point, and that is if, if people love beautiful cascading hanging baskets, those big lush ones, and you can have some hanging baskets out where they can get a bit of natural rainfall this time of the year, um, nasturtiums make the most spectacular hanging uh, baskets, and you can use the leaves and the flowers in salads. It's, it's a great plant. Now, Blake Proud from WA is a good mate of ours here at The Gurus and a presenter on one of the programs we produce. He's got a cactus garden out the front and he's got about 75 mil of crushed riverstone over the top to give it a bit of a desert vibe. But it's got terrible nutrient profile and it doesn't let the water permeate very well. Is there any way to fix this? It was a matter of ripping it out and starting again. So a lot of people use stone mulches. It's not an uncommon thing, mate. It's um, something that does present some other challenges. The two significant challenges are if you're in full sun 
and you're in a hot state like WA during the summer, temperatures can get up around 60, 70 degrees Celsius because that stone's absorbing the heat and getting hotter and hotter. And it keeps the, the soil, I suppose, warmer and as a consequence, drier for a lot longer period of time. So you're watering more. So my suggestion with stone mulches is in shaded spots, if you want to create the, the, the riverbed, the dry riverbed effect or something like that, great. If you want to use them for pathways, great. But for mulch over garden beds, I'm not the biggest fan. Albeit, we're talking about cacti here and they're used to growing in really, really hot conditions. So if you want to improve the nutrient delivery there and also get the, mo the moisture uh, penetration right, the trick is to apply a liquid wetting agent now and to put a controlled release fertiliser like Osmocote over the top of the actual stone and it'll kind of shake its way down in underneath the stone and it'll slowly over a multiple month period, usually sort of four months, um, deliver all those nutrients into the soil and around the base and improve the health of the soil. Uh, but yeah, it is what it is, unfortunately. You've got to, got to work with that, Blake. Um, yeah, I know that you've got, uh, I know you've got a lot of edibles out there too, so I know you know the tricks with fertilising. Really important. Now, we're going to head across to Victoria. Linda, I've got a prize for you because this is, this is the prize for the day, the big one. This is the Delish book and we're going to get your details. Um, so we'll get you to pop a private message up with Michaela because um, your question I absolutely love. Laburnums are just gorgeous ornamental trees, um, known as the golden rain tree. They have these big, long cascading racemes. They really do well in cooler climates and they struggle in warmer climates. In the warmer climates like Perth and even Adelaide or, or certainly up in the north in Darwin and in Brisbane, um, we're better to go for the golden shower tree, Cassia fistula. But Laburnum Vossi, the golden rain tree, is a cool climate plant that is just to die for. And you've got a bit of a problem with yours. You've got new leaf growth coming through, but you're getting it eaten by snails. Now, there's a few things that you can keep in mind with snails. You can use a copper-based spray. So if it's a tree, you can always just put a copper band around the stem. That'll stop the snails from traversing up and down. You can also use a light um, Bordeaux spray mixture over the foliage. It won't affect the plant in a negative way at all, but snails and slugs have no tolerance for copper. So it will get rid of them pretty darn quickly. And I've got a product I'm gonna show you one day in the near future that is the ultimate garden product. It helps save uh, moisture and nutrient, but also it deters insects of all sorts. And uh, it's some new technology with an ancient ancient mineral base um, that will be uh, just just a, a, a big game changer for all of us in gardening. It's, it's a really exciting thing. Uh, Linda, congratulations. You've won that Delish book. Uh, we've got some more seeds to give away. Remember, folks, as you are asking your questions, please tell us where you're from. Really important. Lynette, I'm not sure where you're from, but she wants to know what causes citrus leaves to curl. How does she solve it? It's on one tree, but not on the other, and that's not an uncommon thing. Now, there's a thing called citrus leaf miner, and what it does is as your new foliage comes out, it's a moth, and it flies in and it lays a little egg. That egg um, is, is a little larvae hatches, and it eats uh, the underside of the leaf, and it burrows little holes through, and it causes the leaf to deform, to twist, and to, to become quite gnarly and curled. 
that's what you've got. Now, once you've got it, once the foliage is damaged, you're not going to fix that foliage, but I would lightly trim the tree of any of that damaged foliage. And then I would lightly spray that tree and the nearby tree that's not being affected at the moment because it'll only be affected when that new foliage comes through, but I would spray it with white oil. But don't do it during the day. Do it around about five o'clock in the afternoon, early evening. That's when the moth that lays the eggs is really active and it hates the oily substance. So it won't land on that new foliage. It'll fly away and disappear and not affect your trees. And you only probably need to do it maybe twice a week for maybe two to three weeks and you'll break the cycle of the moth. So it's not a difficult thing to do as long as your tree's big enough for you to be able to maybe give it a light trim uh, to treat it. I hope that helps. So certainly the only other way to do is to wait for um, is to wait for the next flush of growth. Dean, again, we don't have your uh, location, but should you use soil solver when planting cacti and succulents into the garden? No, uh, you shouldn't. Soil solver is going to improve um, the water holding capacity. When you're planting cacti and succulents, you want free draining soil. So the sandy soils of Perth actually tend to be fantastic for this sort of thing. And if you're on the Mornington Peninsula, northern beaches in Sydney or up in Queensland on the Sunshine Coast, you would find where it's sandy soil like that, these types of plants can just go straight into the sand and they'll do really well. So don't put soil solver in. It's got a kale and clay in. It's one of the few times I'd recommend you don't look at improving the soil. You don't need to with those types of plants. Mark has asked us, uh, is it too close to dig near a tree for a retaining wall? Don't want to damage the tree. It's an ornamental pair about four metres tall. If you were going to do it, Mark, I would be doing it this weekend. And the reason is that pears tend to be a bit later in coming back. And during the winter, they can actually tolerate that stress of a root being damaged. Um, you have to remember that when you put your retaining wall in, as the tree gets bigger, it may put pressure on the retaining wall and the wall may fail. The truth of the matter is if this is a retaining wall and uh, you're in a position where you can put some posts in and put a retainer in that's not a solid wall that requires footings, then you're probably better off because they should be able to live together quite well. There's a system called the Retain It system. Uh, you'll find it in your local bunning store. It's from the guys at White's and it's effectively galvanised posts that go into the ground and you slot timber, um, timber uh, sleepers into that and you can build them up. Each sleeper is about 200 mils um, deep, so you can build them up 400 or 600 or even 800 high and it makes a big difference. It's a very easy way to put in a retaining wall and cost effective as well and it won't hurt your ornamental pear. I hope that helps. Lou. Let's go to Lou. She's been growing thyme and lately a web appears and it strangles and kills the plant. How do I get rid of it? Lou, this is a really interesting problem because you most definitely have mites on your, your thyme. That webbing that you're seeing is, is actually these mites that are damaging the leaves and they're falling off. And it's the leaves that you want uh, to, to actually control the insect, uh, or sorry, you, the leaves you want to grow that you want to control the insect for. So. Mites are not easy. There's pretty much two solutions. One is that you can try and dust them with sulphur and that tends to be quite effective and uh, it depends on how dry things are. But if you can dust over the surface, the sulphur is a natural mineral and it will uh, eradicate the mites and also the eggs. That's probably one of the safest ways to do it. You need to maybe do it 
once a week for at least two to three weeks because mites tend to have a breeding cycle of sort of that 12 to 16 days where you get a whole bunch of new ones will appear. Um, once you break the cycle, you'll find the plant will start to recover. And it's actually critically important that you also feed your plant as well because the old foliage will not get better. It will fall off. So you want to stimulate the plant's root system and growth with lots of energy coming through to push out new leaves. That's important. Um, I've suggested uh, this, the second one with mites is you can also use something like white oil or pest oil and uh, drench the plants with that and it can also do the same thing. Uh, in hot, dry climates, uh, positions where time is sitting in full sun, if you start getting days over 30 degrees, that could be problematic. So my suggestion would probably be to go to the sulphur mix. Uh, Yvette, in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia, hello, welcome to the show and thank you for asking your question. How do you stop ants on cherry trees? Well, I've got the ultimate solution for you. It is a chemical-free solution and it's very, very effective. Ants hate talcum powder. Believe it or not, it's just too much for them. It's so fine, it actually gets in their joints between their elbows and stuff, and they can't clean it off them. So it will drive them away. They will not cross over a talcum powder barrier. So if you were to put a bit of talcum powder around the base of each tree, even lightly dust the trunk, you will not get any more ants going into the tree. So that'll stop them affecting your cherry trees. I hope that helps. I should say to you that ants aren't always bad. Sometimes they're pollinators, maybe not in this instance, but certainly in the instance of things like custard apples and some of the tropicals, if you're seeing ants in your trees, it's a good thing. If you're seeing ants in garden beds and in around plants that might have scale, that's a different problem again and you do want the ants to go away. But the good thing about this solution is it's not a chemical, it's not a poison. The ants will just be deterred and move in different directions. They won't go into your tree. Um, Isaac, can you permanently get rid of leaf curl on nectarine and peach trees? The answer is maybe. So <laughs> the reason I say that is because uh, I've certainly uh, experienced it with some nectarines at home and I treat them every year with uh, copper sulphate and uh, that's bluestone. You can use Bordeaux mixture as well. I've actually given them a shot of a Bordeaux sulphur mixture this year and I probably have had about a 90% improvement in the amount of leaf curl that we're seeing but we still are getting a little bit and leaf curl is caused by bacteria. So basically to get rid of it I don't know whether you can 100% get rid of it, but certainly using a Bordeaux or um, there's, I think uh, Yates produce a leaf curl spray. Well, that's probably going to help you a fair bit. My advice is use as much as you can. It's got a copper base to it. And that combination of copper and a little bit of sulfur tends to clean off any bugs on those trees and make them healthier anyway. So thanks, Isaac. Di in Sydney, thanks for telling us where you are, Di. That's really appreciated. Now, what is a good tropical looking plant about one to two metres high to make a border and it needs to be able to take in full sun. Now in Sydney you can grow some pretty amazing plants that can look quite exotic and one of them, one of the groups of plants, a, a, a genus, are called cordylines um, and there's different types of cordylines. There's the cabbage tree style cordylines and there's cordylines known as cordyline terminalis. Now, these are lush, uh, broad leaves, come in multiple colours, and they tend to grow up in sort of small trees almost. They certainly will in Sydney. 
and they love full sun and they'll do really well in that environment. So cordyline terminalis is a whole bunch of different varieties. So I'm not gonna suggest any one because it'll get down to what colors you love, but you get colors of rich reds, yellows, whites, um, deep burgundies, pinks even. So go and check them out, they're really good. Now, we have had a whole bunch of great questions coming through today. Um, I've got a couple more packets of seeds I'm going to suggest uh, we'll send off to uh, a few of our winners. And uh, those winners are Lynn in New South Wales, Yvette in South Australia, Di in Sydney, Cherie and Keng. Keng, those packet seeds, which you should be planting seeds right now in your garden, uh, that's what you want to get your hands on. I do want to mention to you that we actually have a handful of these books left, and I mean literally a handful. There's hardly any left. If you do not have a copy of Delish, do us a favour, place an order online. I would be delighted to sign it for you, and we'll send you one of the very last copies that are available. And you can also get your hands on a brilliant tool range. We actually featured it on the show, and I would suggest that you jump online. They're from Wolfgarden, they're a German range, and they're multiple, they're adaptable um, handles. So you can literally change different tools to different handles and you'll get amazing results. And because of the demand, we've now put them on the Garden Guru's website. Wow, we've flown through a lot of stuff today, haven't we? Now, for those of you who are wondering, we do not have the Garden Gurus on this weekend. There is a sporting event on nine, and we're having a week's rest and we'll be back the week after, which is when you'll see that story with Digby as we visit Kings Park Botanical Gardens breeding program. It'll open your eyes, it's amazing. But there is always catch up shows on uh, the various channels on Nine, so Nine Gem, Nine Life, and of course you can watch on Nine Now whenever you want. There's so many opportunities to get your dose of the Garden Gurus. I'm Trevor Cochran. Really appreciate you joining us. Um, now, remember, check your TV guides because the times do vary. You can listen back to today's session uh, with the live stream, catch up on previous episodes via Spotify, Apple Podcast and Podbean, and we'll look forward to seeing you here next week on Facebook at 12 p.m., Australian Eastern Standard Time. Remember, daylight saving, excuse me, uh, kicks in uh, on uh, in certain states this coming Sunday. So things will change a little bit. So if you're not sure, check your guides as far as programs go. But certainly next week, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We'll look forward to seeing you for another dose of The Garden Gurus Live. Thanks very much to Michaela and Jimmy on the technical side of things, the producers. They've done a great job and we really look forward to seeing you again soon. Trevor Cochran, until then, goodbye. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Dig, 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 digging around. Dig, 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 digging the ground. I got my spade, I got my hoe, I got my rake and I'm ready to go. The Garden Gurus is back on your TV this weekend. Now we know that this can be a little bit confusing so listen carefully folks. We're on 9 and 9HD for New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory on Saturday at 12.30pm. For South Australia and Tasmania we'll be on your screens on Saturdays at 4.30pm and for those in WA tune in Sundays at 5.30pm. 
and on Nine Life across all states. You can watch the Garden Gurus team every Saturday from tomorrow at 5 p.m. Dig, I dig, dig, dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my speed, I got my hold, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Dig in the ground.